This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 249. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. You know how many times I've said that opening line, Matthew? 249 times. <laughs> Actually, a couple more times than that, because we've had some bonus episodes that are not included in that count. But, sure. but yeah, that, you know, I don't know. When we first started this, um, here, here's a little, I don't, I don't even know if he still listens to the podcast or not. Probably not. If he does... By golly, he better send me a message. But uh, a friend of mine named Jim, Jim, you'd know who you are. He does a podcast in a different, totally different, uh, different subject, different topic, different industry, everything. And uh, it was his podcast that inspired me to start this podcast. And I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning, so <laughs> I kind of copied his intro to a degree. And that's why the Concealed Carry podcast runs the way it does, <laughs> at least at this time. Uh, so th- there's a little background on the, kind of the, the starting of the Concealed Carry podcast. We I can't believe we're here, though, at 249 episodes. It's insane, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jim, for uh, getting you rolling, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So we are here on a... Actually, we're, we're, we're a day late and a dollar short getting this episode done. Uh, out to you uh, on time as far as uh, it's Wednesday Wednesday instead of Tuesday. Um, I just got caught up with some things yesterday and, and here we are. So, um, but this is our news episode for the week. We've got lots of great news stories. I realize that with these news podcast episodes that a lot of times that the kind of legislative updates, the other news that we talk about is kind of timely information. And if you're listening to this episode, you know, months down the road, some of that might not be as relevant, but our justified save segment, which is always towards the end of the episode, probably the last third or so of the episode is always relevant, I think. And today we, today, this episode is titled CCW or misses two out of three shots while defending a child. Um, a really difficult story to listen to. Uh, I, I had a hard time actually reading this. Um, because the child involved is, is, is very young, unfortunately. And I've got a little almost five month old here at home. Um, plus uh, all my other kids, it's hard for me to cover stories that involve the harming of children, but, uh, but reality is reality and bad stuff happens to good people. Unfortunately, including good, innocent little children on a daily basis in this country. Uh, I'd love to change that. And one way that I hope we can do our part is by being Active, proactive, prepared, responsible, armed Americans, uh, you know, that carry concealed on a daily basis. I hope this podcast inspires you to do that and to take actions, whatever those actions may be, to make sure that you are ready and prepared. Today's episode is brought to you by, we are running a special promotion right now on the Vehicle Firearms Tactics course. Uh, if you, you can buy this on our website at concealedcarry.com all the time, every day. But what you can't get on the website is a lot of people like to get the DVD version of this of this video course. And right now you can get the you can get the online access to the course as well as the DVD uh, for a very special deal. 
head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT special. That's VFT as in vehicle firearms tactics. So concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT special to uh, learn more about that vehicle firearm tactics course. Really good, relevant stuff, I think, for concealed carriers out there. So if you haven't seen that course uh, already, if you're interested in, uh, you know, we worked hard to put that together uh, last fall. And uh, yeah, so check it out, concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT special. Today's episode is also brought to you by Andrew Brinka's Law of Self-Defense Level 1 online course. This is a fantastic course. This gets you started down the path to really being a responsibly armed uh, CCWer in that he's going to make sure that you know what you're talking about and that you know what to do or what not to do when you have to draw and you use a gun for self-defense. And that level one online course is is a great value. It's a great way. I mean, normally a couple like a year or so ago, he was still like the only way you could get this content um, in the way he delivers it is by attending in an in person live law of self defense level one course with him. And he was traveling the country, and he still does that to an extent, but not as much as he was. But you had to go to one of these in person live courses. <clears throat> now you can do a hybrid of that live. You there's there's you get you can get some uh, uh, FaceTime with him, but uh, it's a great great online training course. Check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash l o s d level one, l o s d as in law of self defense. Concealedcarry.com forward slash l o s d level one. Now speaking of Andrew Branca, Matthew, I think you know what time it is. Uh, it's that time for the case of the week. You nailed it. So (laughs) (laughs) let's kick it off here. This week's case of the week from attorney Andrew Branca of the Law of Self-Defense. Here we go. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense case of the week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This case of the week is provided for educational purposes only. This week's case of the week is inspired by the so-called documentary Rest in Power, the Trayvon Martin story, produced by Jay-Z and by Trayvon Martin's parents. The first two episodes focus enormous attention on the fact that George Zimmerman was not arrested until April 11, 2012, a full 44 days after he shot and killed Trayvon Martin in lawful self-defense on February 26th. It's all presented as if there's no possible rational and lawful reason for not arresting George Zimmerman, as if his guilt is the most obvious thing in the world, and only a racist police department and a racist state attorney would refuse to make the arrest of a racist killer like George Zimmerman. Never addressed, naturally, are the due process and civil rights that protect law-abiding citizens from arbitrary and unlawful arrest. In order for an arrest to be lawful, there must exist probable cause to believe that a crime has been committed. The propaganda campaign against Zimmerman wanted him arrested for the killing of Trayvon Martin and charged with a killing crime, such as murder or manslaughter. For such an arrest to be lawful, there must be probable cause for a reasonable person to believe that murder or manslaughter had been committed. It is, of course, undisputed that Zimmerman shot and killed Trayvon Martin, but not all killings are crimes. A killing committed in lawful self-defense is legally justified and not at all a crime. In evaluating whether there is probable cause to believe a killing was unlawful, the authorities must be able to exclude the possibility that the killing was instead 
lawful self-defense. And so if the killer raised self-defense, the authorities are obliged to consider if the evidence supports a lawful rather than a criminal use of force. In the case of Zimmerman, there was literally zero evidence in the record that was inconsistent with or conflicted with his claim of self-defense. And he made that claim of self-defense from his very first engagement with law enforcement moments after the shooting occurred. In addition, there was considerable evidence that was consistent with self-defense. As a result, the entirety of the evidence overwhelmingly favored the view that the killing of Trayvon Martin was lawful self-defense and not a crime. Ultimately, of course, Zimmerman was charged with second-degree murder by imported state attorney Angela Corey. How was she able to build a foundation of probable cause in a few days when law enforcement and the previous state attorney had not been able to do so for weeks? Her legal team simply fabricated the quote-unquote facts in an affidavit of probable cause to create a perception of probable cause where none existed by pointing to evidence that did not exist and that they knew did not exist. Note that this false affidavit is a sworn document signed by two of Corey's investigators under the pains and penalties of perjury. For example, the affidavit states, as fact, Martin attempted to run home, and later, Martin, who was trying to get home. Nobody familiar with the facts, the timing of events, and the layout of the apartment complex could believe this to be true. Martin was a healthy 17-year-old football player. He had a window of a full two minutes unobstructed by Zimmerman in which to cover the 400 feet from his starting position to the apartment where he was staying. Even an old, desk-bound, small-town attorney like me is able to cover fully three times that distance, 1,200 feet, and at a modest jog, much less in a fearful flight from a reported aggressor, in two minutes. The affidavit also states that, quote, when the police dispatcher realized Zimmerman was pursuing Martin, he instructed Zimmerman not to do that and that the responding officer would meet him. Zimmerman disregarded the police dispatcher and continued to follow Martin. There are two claims here, one an outright lie and the other simply a fabrication. The outright lie is that Zimmerman disregarded the police dispatcher. When told by the dispatcher, we don't need you to do that, Zimmerman's immediate response is in fact a compliant okay. The fabrication is that Zimmerman continued to follow Martin. The only reason Zimmerman got out of his car at all was that he informed the dispatcher that Trayvon had run out of sight behind a building, and the dispatcher asked Zimmerman to identify where Trayvon had run to. Unable to see through a building, Zimmerman exited his vehicle and walked to peer around the corner of the relevant building. It was at this point that the dispatcher made his suggestion and Zimmerman complied. There is literally zero evidence, none, that Zimmerman continued to follow Martin. The affidavit also states, quote, Zimmerman confronted Martin and a struggle ensued, close quote. This is a very serious claim of fact to make because if true, it pretty much guts Zimmerman's claim of self-defense. If Zimmerman were believed to be the initial physical aggressor in the conflict, he's lost the element of innocence necessary to have a valid self-defense claim. As you might expect by this point, however, this claim that, quote, Zimmerman confronted Martin close quote, is also an utter fabrication. There is literally zero evidence, none, that Zimmerman confronted Martin. To the contrary, all available evidence is that Zimmerman, having foolishly placed himself in an ambush position, was confronted by Martin and ambushed. It's a scary thought that law enforcement or prosecutors might be willing to so clearly falsify an arrest and criminal charge against a person for whom there's no actual evidence of criminal conduct. Here's the good news, however. 
even when they do so in order to justify an unlawful arrest and an unjust prosecution. At the end of the day, the defendant has the opportunity to have their day in court, represented by legal counsel, and blow all the lies out of the water. That's what attorneys Mark O'Mara and Don West did for George Zimmerman. And why were they able to accomplish this? It wasn't just their legal skill, which is considerable. It's also because Zimmerman gave them good facts to work with. His use of force was, in fact and law, justified, making him hard to convict. As we say here at Law of Self-Defense, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict by giving your lawyer good facts to work with. Finally, before I go, I'd like to let everyone know that I am in the process of doing a very detailed review, critique, debunking of this quote-unquote documentary, Rest in Power. If you're interested in contributing to that effort and gaining access to that detailed critique, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Trayvon. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash show. I also encourage you to visit our Law of Self-Defense Patreon page where we have free Law of Self-Defense blog content and optional higher value paid content for just $4.99 a month. Plus, for patrons, a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or a DVD, your choice. Find all that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. There you go. Uh, another great analysis. Uh, and this has been a hot topic lately, obviously, with uh, Andrew Branca. I think last week's was, uh, you know, along similar lines uh, because, you know, this is this, there's this documentary that's come out. He's spending a lot of time going through that, analyzing it. He was he already did a lot of analysis uh, back when this case was, you know, the news, um, you know, d- while the trial was going on. But um Anyway, I mean, I don't know if we have any much more to add to that, but we appreciate Andrew for being a partner with us and providing these cases of the week and all this fantastic legal analysis on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, and, and you know, just re- we appreciate it because to take on certain topics like this, hot-button topics, it's still a, a hot issue, right? Or there wouldn't be a, a documentary being made. You open yourself up to a lot of criticism, even if you're just analyzing it from a legal perspective, people are still going to, you know, uh, throw accusations at you and things like that. So, um, you know, I'm glad that he he's doing this because we have, you have to get the facts out. I mean, people need to see what actually, you know, the, the, the what the facts, uh, are presented rather than a documentary that's kind of more theatrical. What's interesting to me, uh, to that point, uh, Matthew is just how many people are unwilling to look at the facts uh, any sort of online discussion that you see out there, even today, you know, there's just so much ignorance on this case. Now, I, I get it. You know, like if you don't want to like George Zimmerman, like there's no reason for you to have to like George Zimmerman. In fact, most people probably do not like George Zimmerman or give a crap about George Zimmerman. But as it relates to that case, uh, Andrew makes it a pretty compelling point that there is absolutely zero evidence that uh, George... Uh, chose to confront 
Trayvon Martin. There's zero evidence. Uh, and that that's that's the problem as as it you know relates to that case um it's pretty clear that it, there was not any evidence or sufficient anywhere close to sufficient evidence to make it appear as though George Zimmerman was looking for this fight and looking to kill Trayvon Martin and that's that's the big difference um so i you know people will believe what they will believe but the facts of the case and and what the jury actually heard and everything that they looked at said, mm, we can't convict this man for murder. So anyway, well, move on, moving on. Uh, let's get now to our first legislative update for this week. This one coming to us out of Washington state. Um, this is where a ju- judge has tossed out signatures and 300,000 of them on a Washington pro-gun initiative, or excuse me, gun, I said pro-gun, anti-gun. I was like, wait a minute, that came out wrong. (laughs) Anti-gun initiative. So uh, yeah, if you're going to, and this is interesting to me, okay, because first of all, um, it's disappointing to me that there's 300,000 people in Washington state that are willing to sign a gun control initiative. Um, Although knowing what I know about how a lot of times those signatures are gathered, that also is not necessarily a surprise, but here's the thing. If you're going to work on a petition to, to do whatever, well, this is whether you're on the pro gun side, the anti gun side, or if it's a whole other issue, you got to make sure you know the rules. (laughs) Yeah. And obviously they, they didn't. And whether it was out of ignorance or, you know, some sort of, uh, they, they just didn't want to divulge exactly what their, the initiative was. Um, it, it, the the fact is is it it was difficult it, the way they went about getting the signatures i mean they have to pres- be able to to read the the person signing it right yeah. has to be able to know what they're signing and the way that the the, the petition was presented to these people it made it very very difficult it's like a 15 page you know document that you have to sign when you sign up for you know you you uh buy a phone or buy, you know, download an app. There's like all this fine print and you don't read it. You just click yes. So, um, there's kind of along those lines, I believe why they actually tossed it out and said, this is a bogus petition. Yep. Yes. And that's kind of what made me wonder, right? Is that, um, so, you know, by the way, kudos to the NRA and the second amendment foundation, both organizations, because they worked to get this petition overturned. Um, they were working to they filed they filed a lawsuit against Secretary of State Kim Wyman because she wasn't doing her job to look over this petition and the and the associated signatures and verify that it met statute for a valid petition and so it took a judge to go oh yep yeah, you know what there's something to this and phew, out it went um, that's a pretty big deal three hundred thousand signatures gone uh, now. As I said, it, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise necessarily, um, knowing what I know, and probably that's what I think happened here, Matthew, and I think you alluded to that, is yeah. that this petition was designed in such a way, and was pro- and signatures were probably uh, gained in such a way that it was misleading, perhaps, to some, of the, to some of the signers as to what the intent of this petition was. So, boom, judge tossed it out. Kudos to him and kudos to the state of Washington for uh, finally getting that figured out. Um, Mm -hmm. As as if Washington needs any additional gun control. 
Um, we've already covered recently some of the things that have been going on up that way, including with the high risk protection orders, which or extreme risk protection orders, which we have covered on this podcast a number of times. News Channel 20 reports Governor Governor Bruce Rauner, I think it's how you say his name, signs bill to give FOID cardholders 60-day renewal grace period. What's the deal with this story? Yeah, so basically, well, there's a couple other legislative things that got tacked on to this bill. But basically, um, those in Illinois, if they basically what would happen is if their uh, concealed handgun license permit expired that day going forward, they are no longer legally able to carry, even if they were in uh, process of renewing it. So it takes like it was taking 30 days for, uh, or they give the police 30 days to, to renew their license. So there's a potentially a time where you would not be able to carry your license, your, your handgun with you, even though just because it might, you might've, uh, you know, went to, um, uh, renew your license towards the very end. And so they signed the bill that said, you know, if you're in uh, the process of renewing your license and it expires, then you're still yeah. good until they either determine that you, you no longer can renew it based on, you know, something or they give you your license back. So I think it's a, it's a common, I mean, I hate the word common sense, but it makes sense at least. Um, I don't see why it, you know, there would be much opposition to something like this. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. You know, this just seems like a reasonable uh, bill that needed to be signed and and passed into law. So there you go. Illinois residents rejoice on this thing. I mean, this is, it seems like a small thing, but it it is, it's a valid point, you know, as to why to have uh, this type of uh, law in the statutes. Almost every other state that has uh, concealed, that issues concealed carry permits um, has something similar. Okay. Right. So, and, and if you go, if you have the app, you can put in the, uh, concealed carry gun tools app, you can put in your certificate or your license the day it expires and it will give you, you know, an update like, Hey, you're 30 days away from your license expiring. So go renew it. So that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. So you don't end up falling into a, one of these situations anyways. Nice plug for the concealed carry gun tools app, Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I, I think it's really cool. Oh, that, that, that feature I'm sure is, is highly underutilized, uh, in the app and probably a lot of people don't even know it exists, but that's probably what that alone right there, I think makes that app very valuable because it's so yeah. easy when you have something issued to you for five years, people have right. a hard enough time, you know, as it is remembering when their driver's license expires, mm-hmm. um, yet alone their vehicle registration. <laughs> right. So, you know, when, when you've got a permit that's typically for most states is issued on a five-year basis, some are three, some are even less. Some some require some sort of renewal every year, but most are five. That can be hard to remember and keep track of. So if you plug it into the app and you got our app on the phone, it's going to remind you. In fact, it uses a really clever, uh, nifty way of doing it. It actually uses a series of color codes um, that when you're within so many days, it's like one color. Like maybe it, like within 90 days, it's like yellow or something. Within 60, it goes like orange and within you know when it's expired it goes red or something like that and and so it's really really a cool feature in the app so way to plug it buddy mm-hmm. <laughs> now on to tylerpaper.com this is the tyler morning telegraph a paper out of tyler uh, texas uh, where the federal appeals court uh, this is the fifth district court uh, of appeals upholds texas 
campus carry law. Um, Now, what happened here was that in July 2016, which is shortly after the law went into effect, I believe, on July 1st of 2016 uh, in in Texas, where, you know, it changed to where before that you couldn't carry on campus on on a public university or college campus in Texas, and then all of a sudden you could. Now, with some restrictions, the campuses can have certain rules or guidelines as it relates to that. It's a little bit more restrictive than maybe some states like Utah or Colorado, where it's just straight up like concealed carry on public uh, campuses is, is, you know, it's the law of the land. But three professors in July, 2016 uh, uh, filed a claim saying that, that that law allows licensed gun owners to carry concealed weapons into most public university buildings and would have a quote-unquote chilling effect on free speech in their classrooms. But a federal district judge threw out their case in July 2017 saying the professors didn't present any concrete evidence to substantiate their fears. Accepting that logic and advancing it yet further, a three-judge panel on the appeals court this last week rebuffed the professor's free speech claim, as well as two other constitutional challenges they had made. So the only thing that they can do now at this point, because it's gone through the the entire uh, uh, appeals court process, is they've got 90 days now to ask the Supreme Court to hear the case. Now, one of the big issues here was that the uh, the district the the federal judges here at the district court level said that these uh, professors did not have any standing on the matter, um, and so they would have to. Um, ask the Supreme Court for, you know, take this on an en banc level and uh, file it in that way. So anyway, um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm guessing they're not legal professors. I'm just going to throw that out. I don't know. (laughs) But you know what? Even if they are, it doesn't mean they they understand the law or understand the Second Amendment for that matter. So yeah, (laughs) you give attorneys way too much credit. <laughs> uh, anyway. yeah, this is, but this is a good one. This is really important, and I, I think it's, it's a, it's a solid, it's a solid win. I think. Yeah. Uh, so. Yep. Um, and then also, let's see. Next story here. Sorry, I was trying to reply to someone on Facebook. <laughs> I don't type fast enough. New study finds growing demand for concealed handgun permits. Uh, this is on FoxNews.com. Um, and it says here, that according to the Crime Prevention Research Center, that the number of permits to carry concealed weapons in the U.S. has jumped now to more than 17.25 million. That's an increase of almost 900,000 since last year. Yeah, I remember like a year or two ago, maybe it was two years ago now, I don't remember exactly the time frame. We've been doing the podcast now long enough that it all just meshes into one, you know, big blob in my in my memory bank but uh i know at one point we, we reported there's like 15 million permit holders in the u.s okay so we're now at over 17 million it's pretty cool now what's your take on this story man yeah so i mean i just think it shows that and i think it shows that how even in the midst of a big push to make firearms uh, concealed carry and just basically firearm ownership as putting a, a big stigma on it, even in that big push that it's still, that, that it might not be so dire as we think that we see 
on, on on the news, right? Like we're constantly bombarded by everything, and we we pre, uh, you know present a lot of stories that are anti that show you know anti gun sentiment and stuff like that. But I think that we don't realize the grassroots or the, the the how many people really aren't that way, right? And so it continues to increase the number of people that look at firearms and firearm ownership as far as self-defense and say, yeah, this is something that I think not only is morally okay, legally okay, but I think it's safe. And and maybe just, you know, there's gun owners in there as well that are, are joining on just because they like the sportsmanship nature part of it, you know, like the, comp- the competitive aspect. So, I, I'm I'm really kind of like encouraged by seeing stuff like this because, you know, a few years back, I think concealed carry only started gaining popularity maybe like ten years ago, where a couple states started you know taking on concealed carry and more and more, and now you know it's it's kind of I, I think it's almost like a increasing momentum as far as um, how concealed carry is viewed upon in the midst of probably a very, very divisive and very, very uh, difficult time. Um, So I'm encouraged big time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On this uh, article, by the way, there's a, uh, an image from the crime prevention research center. And this, of course, the crime prevention research center is headed up by uh, John Lott. Many people are probably familiar with him and his work. Uh, I like this little uh, image, this graphic here. It shows percent of adult population with permits by state. Uh, and there's a little table there. Now, this is kind of a little bit small and blurry, but but I'll, I'll read this to you and kind of describe to you what's going on here. Uh, it, it shows gray-colored gray states where no permit is required to carry in all or almost all the states. So unfortunately, I, I do think the one unfortunate thing here is that they, they actually don't, um, on this particular graphic, give you a percentage of permit ownership um, for these states where they have essentially constitutional carry. And that's states like Idaho, uh, Arizona, Montana, now Wyoming, Mar- North Dakota, Kansas, Missouri, Boy, I don't remember this at all. No permit required to carry. Maybe that is the case. I don't know. I don't always remember some of these states. Definitely we know Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, West Virginia. Okay, so Alaska. Um, All right, so that's the gray-colored states. Then there's like this brown color where more than 15% of adults have permits. South Dakota, Indiana, and Alabama. Cool. Orange is 10 to 15%. That's a good mix of some of the states. Five to ten percent of of adults with permits is red, and that's probably a little bit bigger percentage of the states than the orange. And then uh, let's see, yellow's two to five percent. And then finally, you know what? You know what always shocks me, Matthew, is New hmm. Mexico. Yeah, you, you I know, was just gonna say that. Now, number one, couple couple things. New Mexico is in is an interesting place. It's an interesting state politically, uh, you know, and on all that's concerned. Um, as far as permits go. You have to go through. It, it does have one of the most stringent training uh, requirements nationwide that you got to go through to get a permit in New, in in New Mexico, and that's probably a direct result of why it's so difficult to uh, or why so few people have permits in New, New Mexico. Um, Nebraska is another interesting one where it's not necessarily that difficult uh, training wise, um, but. Uh, 
yeah, I was a little bit surprised by Nebraska. Good old, you know, heartland Nebraska, and only 2 to 5% of adults have permits. And then Illinois, that's not a big surprise there. Delaware is another one that's listed in the yellow, so the 2 to 5% category. Now, finally, we have less than 2% of adults with permits would be states like California, New York, New Jersey, Maryland. Um, let's see, I'm trying to make out everything here. And then Hawaii, I think. And that's not a surprise. Those are the states where they are definitely not shall-issue states. Um, they are virtually, in some cases, no-issue states, depending, on, especially depending on where you live. So in, in, you know, in the case of California, depending on the county that you're in, that, you, know, you, you move over one county and it, it could be a shall-issue state. It's very easy to, to do. And then you go over, over the next county and it's virtually no issue. So Anyway, pretty interesting graphic there and kind of shows the makeup of concealed carry in America at this time. Uh, I, I'm glad, I am thrilled to know that concealed carry permittees, continue, that number continues to grow. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all. It's something that we've seen, seen, we've seen in our business. We see it in this podcast and the growth of this podcast. I don't think people realize now, but uh, there's there's thousands and thousands of people listening to this podcast each and every month. Uh, we're actually about to hit 2 million downloads of the podcast, which is, which is huge in the podcast world. We're very grateful and thrilled about that. So um, next up, we got another story here. Um, I, I kind of previewed this a little bit, but... Um, Another business changes its policies to become basically an anti-gun business, whereas before it used to be a very, well, I don't know if I'd say very pro-gun, but there was a, quite a few businesses using its services to run their gun-related businesses, okay? They're, they're e-commerce platforms. And that, that company is Shopify. Now, chances are a lot of listeners of the podcast have not heard of Shopify until now, or or they've just heard of it in the last week as they, as this news has been making its rounds. And they're you know, they, all, I know a lot of people are, they're just going to hear Shopify is you know anti gun and you know like how dare they and they don't even know what Shopify is. Probably a lot of them. Shopify is an e commerce platform form for websites. Okay, and it, basically when you when you build a website, like it's one thing to build a website that's just pages with you know a blog or whatever, um, but adding in the back end of your website. An e-commerce platform can be a, quite a challenge. It's it's virtually you know impossible for most average uh, web builders uh, because they just don't have the know-how to to write the code to put all that together. So a lot of times website uh, owners and bloggers and so forth they will they will use a service they will purchase, uh, you know, they'll use Shopify, for instance, or they'll use, well, we, our business uses WooCommerce. Okay. WooCommerce is open source. Um, they don't make the rules about how their platforms use. That's one of the reasons why we use WooCommerce because it's, it's open source. Shopify is a private business, uh, that, you know, they, they create this product in, in competition with WooCommerce to, uh, you know, th there are some nice things about Shopify. That's one of the reasons why it's attractive and people are drawn to Shopify to use it for building their online stores. It's great. It works very well. But there was always this risk, not being open source like WooCommerce is, that they could turn around and say, mm, we don't like gun-related businesses. And guess what? That's what happened last week. Yeah. And, and is it, I, as you were going through that, I was one of the people I had no, I, I mean, I don't know Shopify. I don't know what the heck it was. And like, I was like, Shopify, how is it going to affect me? And then um, Josh wrote a, a really good article and I was reading some of the art, the, the comments and they're like, Oh, I don't care about Shopify. Who cares? Like I I'll never shop there anyways. And it's like, no, you, you don't realize this isn't a store that you're like going to boycott or just not, yep. I'm not going to spend my money there. It's like, it's in vault. It's in like so many different 
uh, businesses that you that you use every day. Yep, it, it's a B two B business. It, it it offers services to other businesses so they can run their businesses. Now there are sometimes a lot of times ways that you can find out whether an online business uses Shopify, and I guess you could make the decision if you're able to find that out which online retailers are using Shopify as their e-commerce platform. You could then say, well, I'm not going to do business with them because they use Shopify. I, you know, that's probably a little bit extreme. I, I don't think it's worth the effort to try to figure that out. But what I can tell you is that you have a lot of pro-gun businesses that are now being forced. They have a certain time frame uh, up through like December, maybe it's the end of the year. Let's see. I don't know if it's in this article or not. I, I saw it somewhere where- yeah, I think it was December. Yeah, it might be the end of the year where basically they're saying you have until this time to comply, to make your business comply with- um, uh, our new guidelines, our you know our, our new terms and conditions, essentially of using our service for your business, and so you got a lot of businesses that have been using you know gun businesses that have been using Shopify, and they're going to have to you know jump now over to something else. And I'll tell you what's unfortunate about all this is that it's going to cost some of these businesses a lot of money to do that to migrate everything over. It's going to cost them a lot of time and effort and headache to move everything over and get, you know, everything set up again for their online mm-hmm. stores. And that is I think that the real travesty here that that few people probably think of and realize just just how much, you know, that could mean for some of these businesses in terms of uh, just the the cost, both in terms of time and actual dollar amount. Um, now, I, I we don't have it in our links here, but maybe I'll have to go and add it. But I actually wanted to give a little plug and shout out to our friend uh, and, and contributor to concealedcarry.com. Jackie Billings wrote an article over on a competitor's, competitor's website. That'd be guns.com. Um, <clears throat> she wrote an article about this whole Shopify business and talked about how the reason that you know this this came about was because of the uh, defense distributed you know case where uh, the 3D you know that's the three 3D uh, gun printing dudes right um, where basically be that they were using Shopify okay and Shopify was looking for a way to shut them down because a lot of people are unfortunately. And so they shut them down and then quickly over the course of like a weekend had to figure out, you know, how to word and change their, 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 their policies so that they could then justify shutting down uh, defense distributed. And that's basically how this all came to be. And so now that's meant that what does that, what that has meant is it is affecting a lot of, you know, probably hundreds of, of, of gun related businesses, um, you know, and because of, because of this stupid 3D gun issue that people, everybody is so overly and unnecessarily concerned about. Yeah, and, and you know what's what what struck me is that like we might go online and you purchase something from you know you, you might go online and, and buy a holster or something like that, right? And you think that these companies are like have hundreds and hundreds of employees and these big warehouses and stuff, but a lot of these companies are just like you know, three, four, five people, maybe they employ 10 people. They're small businesses that a lot of people rely on this money, you know, to, to take care of their families. And so they're really sticking it to a lot of small businesses. And, and the problem is, is even if they haven't gotten the word, like I, I saw some arguments that like, oh, this is only affecting a small group. Well, right now, but think about if you own a company, a, a, a firearms, you know, 
business or something that would violate their terms of service and they haven't banned you yet or they you haven't gotten the letter yet like you don't even know what's going on for the next year of your business i mean like you're trying to project how much money you're going to have to spend and, and do you project i'm going to have to spend five ten thousand dollars to reinvent my whole you know e-commerce platform or not like it, it's it hangs a lot of stress over these companies and unfortunately it's just it's not warranted it's not it the so it's not creating any solution like to a problem it's just out of you know i don't want to say out of spite but it's just out of a, a, an idea a ideology that all guns and anything related to it is bad and it's just mm-hmm. they they don't see how that how that affects a lot of people yep you nailed it it's it's a it's a big issue um and i know, i know that it's people are outraged over stuff like this um and i am too i i i i'm frankly i'm i'm ticked off you know this is I think it's unacceptable, um, but at the same time, you know, like you know, if we truly believe in the Second Amendment, like we do, if we tr- if we believe in the Constitution, then we also got to believe in the fact that Shopify is a is a private entity. They're they're a business, uh, meaning they're not government owned. They're not government controlled necessarily. Uh, they are free to run their business the way they want to run their business. So that's. That's, you know, that's the part about freedom, I guess, that, that sucks. <laughs> uh, hmm. there, there's a lot of things about freedom that suck on both sides. It goes both ways. Um, you know, this is, this is upsetting, obviously, to these businesses and as it should be, but um, it, that's, that's the way it goes. So, you know, we, we then have the opportunity and there's actually, um, there is a business that's trying to fill that void now. Uh, I think they're called Uinta Trading or something, where they basically stepped up and they've been advertising, saying, "Hey, we can do for you what Shopify was doing, um, you know." But and we are gun friendly. In fact, we are pro gun. Um, so you know, there's private market solutions, uh, free market solutions that are going to step into place, fill the void. Or there's a, there's WooCommerce, like like I said, is open source. A lot of other businesses use it. Um, that's what we've been using for years now, and it works great. And they basically are, you know, they can't really, they can't change policy like this and suddenly put us out of business because of something like that. All right, so... And you know, one more thing before mm-hmm. I, I don't want to beat beat a dead horse here, but one thing that struck me and, you are. and popped in my head <laughs> <laughs> um, is that like you just said, like okay, this this company, this business is says they're pro gun, right? And so you can come over here and we'll take care of you. It's almost like this whole drawing a line, and you're either this, you're either for this or you're for that. It's like you're either for immigration or you hate all immigration. It's like, you're either for guns or you hate guns. And it's like, what if I just want to have a business where I help people and you know, if, if they're, if I support a, if, if my business, a business, uh, I'll, you know, product helps a, a business that sells guns or magazines or, you know, fine. If it doesn't, it doesn't like, it's almost like we've drawn lines and certain topics and you're either for it or against it. And, and, and I think it just divides people and it doesn't allow people to like have any sort of common, common commonality or come together and discuss things because it's, yep. it's so contentious. Yep. What I think is just amazing is that businesses choose to draw lines in the sand over these kind of things when it's 
completely legal and legitimate, constitutionally protected businesses. That's what a, mm-hmm. that's what a, that's what's amazing to me uh, is that like I mean, <laughs> if we were talking about something on the fringes like marijuana, for instance. You know, which is kind of a, an interesting issue right now, as far as still federally against the law, um, but they, the feds are kind of turning a blind eye towards it, and many states are now legalizing all sorts of marijuana use, either medical or, or recreationally, and so it's definitely a business. It is in a gray, a big time gray area. Like that would make sense to me for businesses to say, "We're not going to touch this," but legitimate, lawful gun related businesses and that you know and it, it, there's this whole second amendment thing that says yeah right to bear arms and they choose to i mean like it's just that's just amazing to me anyway yeah now we got to move on stop beating this horse guys <laughs> okay so um we got two stories that we kind of call our what not to do sort of thing um all right so first up Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Now, I, I'm familiar with Portsmouth. Uh, it has a special, uh, a fond place in my heart. Uh, it's not very far away from uh, Six Hour Academy, and Jacob and I spent a little bit of time in Portsmouth. Um, so, basically, we had happened here a couple days ago as a teenager was on his way to a party. He happened to go to the wrong address, and he was shot by a homeowner who thought the teen was an intruder. <sighs> this is interesting, right? Yeah. So, okay, let, let's, let's dive in a little bit. Let's, let's just read some more of this story. Uh, police said the teenager was invited to an event over a social media site, but had the wrong address. The homeowner woke up, startled after hearing, this was about 3.30 a.m., by the way. So this is, this is not like it's 10 p.m. This is in the middle of the night, okay? So the homeowner wakes up. He's startled after hearing somebody enter their home and called police. Police officers were on a street nearby for a motor vehicle stop. They heard gunshots in the area and, re- and responded to the scene. Homeowner Brenna Cavanaugh told police she and her partner came across the teen in a parked car and her partner, armed with a pistol, fired. What in the world is going on here, Matthew? <laughs> Police yeah. said the shot was fired at the vehicle as it sped away, but Kavanaugh gave a different account, saying it happened after the vehicle accelerated towards them at a high speed. In a last resort action of self-defense, in an effort to disable the vehicle and neutralize an immediate threat to our lives, the vehicle was fired upon as it approached and passed us, not as it fled, as it as it approached and passed us. Hmm. Okay, so, uh, okay, let's try to make sense of this. By the way, nobody was was injured in this incident, according to this story. Okay. So we have a teenager going to a party that the invite was sent up, sent out over social media. They get the address wrong. So they show up at the wrong house and apparently they went into the home. Right. Right. It says that right here. The homeowner woke up after hearing somebody enter their home. All right. So let's stop right there. What's the first problem here, Matthew? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't know how they got in if they climbed through a window, but it doesn't say any. I mean, in a lot of these, you know, stories don't. I think they air. just didn't lock their doors, dude. That, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> they enter their home, but maybe they heard them, and it was the reason why they heard them was because they broke a window to get in. I don't know. You're gonna break it. You're going to a, somebody's party, yeah, right? right? You're not breaking a window to get in. Come on, right. man. No, I, I, I agree. <laughs> like you go up to that house and you probably open that. You know, like. 
mm-hmm. you know, knock, knock, knock. Oh, they must be downstairs or whatever, having a good time. And you you check the doorknob and find out it's unlocked, and you go right in. Okay, exactly. I know we're both like re- like we don't have those kind of details, but I think <laughs> I think this dude probably didn't have his door locked, probably. and the team just went in. That's what I think happened. Yeah, and, and you know, and this is this it's is Portsmouth. Like, it's a small town, uh, and this is what kills me. <laughs> so there's two issues. You know, in this situation, we covered, I think it was last week, the situation where somebody shot and I can't remember, was it the wife that they killed or, or it was a teen, right? They, they killed their granddaughter or something like that. So we, we covered one similar where they just shot at a noise and then we went off and talked about well, how you don't shoot at shapes and sounds and things. Yep. Um, but this isn't so much that situation, right? This is more of a, like tactical situation or, or, or problem where this person hears somebody in their home, they do whatever they did to cause this person to say, Whoa, I'm in the wrong place and leave the home. But then they seek out this person outside their home to try to, you know, whatever their purpose was or their reasoning, it's a, it's poor in any event. Right. And so there's no reason to follow this person outside your home and start searching for them. And then they come across this person inside their own vehicle, not, not the owner's vehicle, they're the kids, the teen's own vehicle. They drove there to go to the party and they say that, you know, he had a gun. Okay. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know, but he had a gun in the car and they shoot at him. Like, yep. Yep. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I use this scenario all the time in my concealed carry classes and, and explain it for you can't you can't cause a deadly force situation and then claim self-defense. Right. So he, here's the problem. They the one the one girl says or the one woman says I shot at the car because they were using it as a weapon against me. And absolutely. It's it's likely to cause death or serious bodily harm if you get run over by a vehicle. Totally legit. I understand that. But why are you positioning yourself in front of a vehicle it, it, unless the person drove up on the on the sidewalk or ran, you know, started coming on, on on the tree lawn and trying to run you over or something? Why why would you approach the vehicle in the front? You, you know, your place. This is like the tactical mindset that that people don't understand. Like I'm going to stand in front of this this car and you're not going anywhere. And it's like. Dude, what is more important, your life or the fact that, you know, this person went into your home and now they're out of your home, you know, or what is more important that you get your last word because they cut you off in the parking lot and you're going to stand in front of their car to prove a point. And and people do this stuff all the time and they put themselves in bad positions where they are forced to do something. And I'm not saying that the kid didn't, maybe, maybe she was standing in front of the car, but that's the only way I can understand saying we feared for our life because this car was coming at us. Because if they're on the side of the car, it's, it's a done deal. You can't, you can't, you know, reasonably say that you're in death. This, this whole thing. Okay. So, and you, you went ahead in the story, man, we were breaking it down step by step. You you just, you just went off on this tangent (laughs) this season. So, okay. So first, first issue that I see here is I suspect an unlocked house. Now, mm-hmm. I get it. I grew up in a in a town, actually out of town, in a out of a small town. <laughs> so we lived outside of a very small town uh, when I was a child. Uh, it, I, you know, I'm sure there were times we didn't lock the doors. I don't know. I don't remember that specifically, and probably because I don't remember it, probably means that we didn't lock our doors a lot of time. I don't know. Uh, so, like, okay. I get that, right? But guess what? I don't. I, 
as a, as an adult now, as as a, you know, as a child, it was something, not something I thought about, right? Whether we locked or not, it was not on my mind. Um, but I'll tell you now, regardless of where I live, I would lock my doors every night because what's the harm in doing so, right? The mm-hmm. the alternative, I mean, even though it might be unlikely because of where you live that somebody is going to enter your home or do something, you know, because you don't lock your doors, like even if that's unlike unlikely, well, it's there's still a possibility of it happening. And I'll tell you, it does happen in small towns and small communities in the middle of nowhere where people don't secure vehicles or, or homes and somebody goes in them. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's a terrible inconvenience to have to use that key occasionally and let yourself in or, uh, you know, unlock your car. But, I, you know, that's just the reality of it, right? Like, that's your choice. That's your choice. Like, knock yourself out. If that's, I mean, I, that's fine. I don't give a crap. <laughs> but, but the, if we just think about logically, like, if you always lock your doors, you know, like, you're okay. Like, no harm can come from that pretty much. If you don't lock them, there is always this possibility that something could happen. And frequently, unfortunately, does happen. I've had a neighbor in uh, pretty close to where I live here. I mean, a couple of, I say a couple blocks away, a little bit away that had their vehicle stolen and they didn't lock their doors. Sorry. You know, like, what do you expect if you don't lock your doors? So anyway, you, you get that point, right? And so I say that to this point too. Like, what? imagine you shot this kid, right? This kid maybe just came inside because he thought he was the right place and the door was unlocked and he thought, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And you shoot a kid that has no intent on harming you. And uh, it's it's kind of in a way your fault because you didn't lock the door. That's the way I, that's what I'm trying to say here. Like, it's your fault somebody walks into your house because you don't secure your doors. If they break through, that's a different story, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, there's a big difference between somebody that just lets themselves in and somebody that breaks through the door or breaks through the window. Like, breaking through a door or window, that is a sign that this person might be willing to harm me. <laughs> somebody mm-hmm. that just happens to walk through because you leave the door locked, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what you do with that, okay? Right. Okay, so that's the first thing. Number two... Why did you go after them? Why did you leave the house? Why did you take your gun with you? Okay, actually, if I left the house in this situation, I'd probably take my gun with me. But there was no need to leave the house at this point. Place the call. They already did that. It says in the story they did that. They thought someone was in the house. They called police. Let police show up, right? So anyway, you go out there. And then to your point, Matthew, why did you position yourself in such a way that they could drive at you, right? And I don't know if I buy the story or not. I don't know. It's not really relevant because they placed themselves in that situation. Right. Now, the final mistake, the final mistake, I got to get this out too. I'm I'm giving you basically four mistakes here that I see these people having made. The final thing is, why are you telling the media all this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) They, They tell them the whole thing. Like, well, yeah, we shot at that car. It drove at us, you know? I mean, geez, like, sh- shut up. Stop talking to the media because you might get charged if you're not careful. Yeah, so luckily no one was injured, right? If somebody was injured, this would be a totally a different, di- different situation. And, and, you know, the only reason why I, and, and, and let me be clear, in the, in the story, if the, if the re- listeners don't read it, in the story, nowhere does it say that the person, that the, the, the woman positioned herself in front of the car. But 
I'm just drawing that conclusion based on the fact that she said that, you know, she feared for, you know, uh, her life. And it was reasonable that the car was coming at her and would cause her death to just bodily injury. And yep. cars normally go forward. You, you have um, to assume that. Right. Or, I mean, or, or you're not backwards. justified to shoot that car. Right. Could be going backwards. <laughs> I understand that. But, um, and so, and I've seen time after time after time, people position themselves in front of cars thinking, what are they going to do? You're not going to drive, like trying to hold a parking space or trying to keep somebody from pulling out of a parking space because they ding their car or something like that. So they're going to stand in front of that car and, and think that somehow they're strong enough to stop that car or the person isn't going to, to, you know, hit them. And then they're shocked when somebody actually, you know, does it think about all the protesters that were blocking the streets, right? People were like, Oh, we're going to stop these cars. They don't, you know, a, a vehicle is always going to be able to, uh, to move a, a person out of the way. Right. Like I don't yeah. know many people that can stop a vehicle. So why, why put yourself in those situations? I mean, and it's never for like, a, a real legitimate life and death situation where like, if I don't stop this car, if I don't try to stop this car, you know, people are going to die. It's more like, well, they cut me off, you know, or, or these guys were in my house and I'm trying to stop them right, after so the I'm, fact. No, you, you gotta let, you gotta let them go. You can't play cop in this instance. Yeah. Okay. By the way, there's other mistakes that were made in this, in this story, right? Number one, and this is from the kid's perspective. Don't get the address wrong. <laughs> Number two, what the crap are you doing out, out of the house at 3.30 in the morning? <laughs> you know, you, you don't do stupid things with, with stupid people in stupid places at stupid times. Okay? <laughs> like, it just is bound to go wrong. Nothing good comes out of being out of your house at 3.30 in the morning. All right? All right. <laughs> Moving on. Could you could you imagine sneaking back? You're a teenager and you you snuck out of the house and you sneak back home and like your parents go out to the car in the morning and there's bullet holes all over and you're like they're like how did this happen? I don't know. Like I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'm like yep. there's bullet holes in my car. Like that'd be crazy. Yep. Okay. Recently, it seems like we've had a couple of these stories that are similar to this one. Um, okay. So NBC4i.com. Never been on this site before. And this is out of Columbus, Ohio. So this is this is home for you, bro. Yeah. Woman shot killed by grandfather who thought she was an intruder, Columbus police say. I'm just going to read the story. It's not very long. A woman is dead after her grandfather mistook her for an intruder and shot her at a residence in East Columbus. Is East Columbus a good or bad part of town? Uh, there's, there's good and bad parts. Um, this area is not... It's not that bad, but like this, this area isn't too bad, but there are some little Columbus is kind of, <laughs> there are some raggedy areas. Just before 11 PM Wednesday, officers were called to this home on the report of a shooting. When police arrived on scene, they found Jordan, Charlize, Victoria Williams. That's a mouthful. Unresponsive in the front yard, suffer, suffering from a gunshot wound. Williams was taken to Grant Medical Center where she later died from her injuries. According to the Columbus Division of Police, officers treated the scene as an active shooter situation and, sw and SWAT was called to the residence. Later, Williams... I'd be curious why they thought that. That's That would be interesting to, to know because mm -hmm. what leads you... You find a wounded person with a gunshot on the ground outside of a home and... I don't know. Later, Williams' grandfather, Booker Moody, age 72, was arrested in connection to the shooting and charged with murder. 
Police say Williams, who lived at the residence with Moody, had no keys to enter the house and knocked on her grandfather's window to try to wake him. Moody then grabbed a gun and fired a shot through the window without realizing it was his granddaughter, according to police. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Triple S disease. Sight, or was it? Uh, <laughs> sounds, shadows. shapes, and shadows or whatever, right? That Jacob mm-hmm. likes to talk about. We, it's about time I get Jacob back on the podcast, I guess. He can <laughs> clear that up, clear that one up for us. Um, okay, so you, you got to put yourself in the, in, the, in the position of the grandfather, right? You're dead asleep. You hear a knocking on your window. You jump up. You grab that trusty old single-action revolver. <laughs> or whatever it was. Maybe it's probably 1911. And, He's 72. Yeah, it's 1911. <laughs> and you grab your gun, and you fire a shot to that window that somebody is knocking on. What? There, there's a reason this dude's been arrested and charged with murder. Because yeah. it doesn't... You know what? It does not matter who this person is that you just shot. Like you just shot through a window at somebody just because they knocked on your window. Now I get that that could be perceived as someone was trying to break in through that window, but still at that point, I'm sorry, that that's not the right play. You don't just shoot. You don't pro proactively. What are we talking? I think we spent a bunch of time last week. I think it was, or maybe it was two weeks ago now on the podcast talking about how the use of a gun in, in the context of being a good guy, it's always in a defensive context. This dude yeah. went on the offensive and shot through the window. Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, this is, this happened before 11 o'clock, right? So I'm not saying that like, you know, after a certain period of time or time, you know, you're okay to, to assume the worst, but like, you know, uh, just before, let's say 11 o'clock PM that, I mean, it's not like it's three in the morning, right? It's, it's, it. and here's the thing, like, there's no way that you can spin this. There's no justification that you can use to say that firing through a window at somebody that you don't know who it is, let alone, I mean, you know, your your you would assumedly know who your, what your granddaughter looks like. So I'm assuming that he fired at somebody that he doesn't know what the, you know, they didn't know what they, they looked at, looked like. So to, 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 to fire a round through the window at somebody, or I don't know if it was one or more, but just through a window at somebody that you don't even know what it is, is crazy. I mean, it is, there's not one legitimate reason to, to, you can't justify it at all. I don't, I just don't, I don't see how you could justify it. I mean, it, it's just, it's crazy. And he, mm-hmm. you know, he was arrested and, and, you know, it's tragic because I'm not saying that the guy's a bad guy. He made a really bad choice. And now, unfortunately, not only did he kill his granddaughter and the whole family's going to be screwed up, you know, um, he's, pro- he, he's going to, I don't know if he'll get, you know, um, you know, convicted of murder, but like, he's going to, he's going to have, he's going to get convicted of something and he's probably going to spend some time in places that he doesn't necessarily want to. And this is just a tragic story and it could be easily avoided if people just think about the safety rules and just say, look, dude, identify your target. Just identify your target. It's that easy before you squeeze the trigger, identify your target. There's nothing, there's no way that you can say, well, it happened so quick that you don't have time to identify your target. You just have to react. No, dude, you still have to identify your target. No. Yeah. So, um, by the way, the story says nothing about how old she is. And so I just went and looked elsewhere and found out that she's age 19. So she's fairly young, but she was an adult. Um, you know, I was just thinking, you know, sometimes kids play 
pranks on people, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, imagine you just shot a 14 year old kid who's out doing stupid things with stupid people at stupid times and in stupid places and all that stuff. And is knocking on this old man's window, just playing a prank and you just get blasted through the head, you know? Yeah. And, you know, so here's the, th- here's the thing. Like, yeah, this dude just, he reacted in, uh, a very horrific way. Like, this is why we've got to be thinking ahead of time. We got to under number one. We got to educate ourselves about the law of self defense. We got to understand the law because there's nothing about this incident that that suggests that he knew what the law said he could or could not do. Right? Like if you understand the law of self defense, you would know intuitively that you just don't shoot through a window like this. Right? But then let's just look at it from a practical sense. You've got somebody apparently outside your home that apparently is trying to get inside through your window just because they're, you know, knocking. You know, guess what? I've been awakened in the middle of the night um, by noise similar to that. And when you're jolted awake, um, it can be very jarring. And you you can perceive that it is different than what you thought at the time. Okay. I I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give this guy a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Because I've been there. I've experienced something similar. Okay. When I had somebody busting out the windows, it was a angry ex-lover or something, busting out the windows of my neighbor's car at 3 a.m., which was 30 feet away or so from my master bedroom window, because I hate how tight our lots are on the side, like most people's houses are these days. And I jumped up. In my mind, what you know, once that registered and it awakened me, and I jumped up, I thought, "What it sounded like to me, somebody was trying to bust down my door, my 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 entrance door on my house. That's not even close to where I mean, but that's what I immediately I came to, and I was like, someone's trying to bust through my door. Holy crap! And I you know immediately went went into action mode, grabbed the gun, told my wife to call nine one one, right? And then what was I concerned about? The safety and security of my family. And I made, you know, our bedrooms were clustered together. I took a position, a totally defensive position to defend my family in our Mm -hmm. clustered bedrooms, okay? Meaning that I wasn't at the door. And by the way, I I realized pretty quickly that the noise was not coming from that direction. It was coming from a different direction. and, And then I soon realized what was going on. But, you know, so I get that when you're awakened from a dead sleep and by noises, even small, small ish noises. Um, cause I, I will tell you that the, the intensity of the noise from the, this person, you know, throwing is basically, I think the first it happened a couple of times, by the way, this is a crazy story. Some on the podcast, longtime listeners, I think I've talked about it before. The first time I think they busted out windows and taillights and headlights with a mag light flashlight, you know, like the D cell battery size mag light. Okay. Um, I guarantee you that from the distance that it was with the bushes and things in the way that that, you know, with my windows closed and everything, that that was not nearly as loud as what I perceived it to be. But that's just the way it was perceived, right? So, okay. So let's give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. But the problem is like that person still has not made entry into your house, right? What can I, what else can I do? And I'm not, I'm not talking about duty to retreat here. I'm just talking about like smart, like tactical type stuff. I can retreat to a position of advantage to where I can take cover and I can give myself myself some distance between me and where that intruder might come through it through at. 
And I'll tell you what, if they make entry and they come through that window, then, you know, game on, right? Mm-hmm. But until that point, like, it doesn't even make sense to try to, you know, unless you go to the window and you see them standing right there with a, a gun in hand, like, okay, that I, that I can see. You shoot them, shoot them through the window. All right, we got a story coming up that's kind of kind of like that. It's a little mm-hmm. bit bizarre, um, and it's justified. But uh, you, you see what I mean? Like, there's just so many things wrong here from a practical and a tactical perspective, as well as a legal perspective. And what's the other issue with this being in Ohio, Matthew? Uh, well, in Ohio, you have a you have a really pro- bad self-defense law. Okay. Um, and so you basically, it's the only 49 other States don't have this problem, but Ohio, you basically have to take an affirmative defense in, in, um, if you want to use the self-defense defense, um, you have to prove that you are not at fault for creating situation. You have to prove that you were an, uh, it was reasonable and honest belief of serious death or bodily harm, uh, or death or serious bodily harm. And you have to show that you, um, fulfilled the duty to retreat. Now he's in his home. So that's kind of null and void, but, um, but yeah, you have to prove that that's the, 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 uh, the, uh, prosecutor does not have to prove that you didn't. So you have to prove that you did, and it's total reversal of of everything that makes sense in our legal system. So that's another, you know, strike against this dude because it's gonna he's not gonna be able to use a self defense claim. Uh, I I don't see I don't see how he would be able to, but yep. we'll see. Yep. Oh boy! All right, let's get to some hopefully better stories now. So th- those two stories we just talked about uh, were what we call what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of what not to do in those two stories. First justified save story. One woman arrested after suspected burglary and shots fired. Millville, California. On Friday at 6.43 p.m., Shasta County Sheriff's Office responded to a call in the Millville area for a bur- burglary in process. Progress. Um, as do- deputies were responding to the location, they learned that shots had been fired. Deputies arrived and contacted three victims. A 24-year-old man, a 50-year-old man, which appears to be the 24-year-old's father, and a 72-year-old man. Deputies checked the area and learned that the suspects had already left the area on foot. Deputies learned that the 20, or excuse me, the 50-year-old man owned the property, which consists of several acres and an unoccupied residence. Ooh, free rent. Um, <laughs> According to the sheriff's office, <clears throat> that man found that a pickup had been driven into the property without permission. So he, with his adult son, the 24-year-old, and a neighbor, who is the 72-year-old, approached the property to investigate. They encountered a man and a woman. They didn't know them, and they were these, this man and woman were attempting to steal property. The woman got into a pickup and started driving around the property and then accelerated the pickup towards where the three victims were standing. So here we have another someone's driving at you with their vehicle thing, but this one might this one might not necessarily be un, uh, avoidable. Okay, mm-hmm. the female stopped the pickup and pointed a handgun toward where the three victims were standing. So she stopped and then comes out with a handgun. The female fired one shot, which did not strike anyone. The seventy-two-year-old man at that point he was armed and he then shot the pickup in self-defense. The female then exited the pickup and ran away with the man. The, the male suspect. They later located them and arrested and they've been charged. So <laughs> quite a, 
uh, story. I would say, by the way, first first things first. Uh, you these people chose to investigate the suspicious vehicle on their property. All right. Now I'm not like I'm not going to give them too much crap on that because like I can kind of understand that. Hey, this is your property. It sounds like a fairly large property, and you're like, whoa, hey, what's this vehicle here? Um, you know, like. A lot of maybe they maybe they get a lot of people that stop out there. You know, if it's an unincorporated area, sure. or you know, maybe some people pull back there all the time. They're they're like, oh man, let's just go and see what they're up to. And probably kids just messing around. Let's tell them to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I, so, I'm good with that. But anyway, the point is, is like you could you could call police and wait. You know, at a safe distance, let them investigate the matter. Right. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. There's always more than one option to these types of situations. But regardless, I'm not going to judge this man too much or these three men. Uh, at least the man didn't go alone. He took a son and he took uh, an el- elderly neighbor um, who was armed. I don't know whether he knew he was armed or not, but either way. Okay. Um, but what's pretty crazy is, you know, it, it just starts to go go south pretty quickly once they get, you know, up to where the, where they're near the pickup. So what's your analysis on this uh, event? Yeah, man. I mean, obviously, whoever these two were there, they're they're stealing stuff, right? They're they're stealing crap out of this dude's house, and um, they cruise around, get in the get in the truck. They're trying to book it, and then they decide, hey, you know what? Let's just. They probably just fired a shot to scare these people, not thinking that they were going to be armed, and uh, fire a shot, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're getting shot at too so so they take off um you know i do like i like how they say um the deputy and his canine partner jacks located the female and jacks was used as a deterrent to keep the female (laughs) from escaping that's 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 kind of i'll bet jacks was excited i get to to do what i trained to do right you know like yeah those canines are awesome dude awesome awesome but yeah i mean and then they do you know they do a lineup and they identify the chick and and the the victims identify yeah that's the one that shot at us and stuff and so i mean i I don't know like you i'm okay with i don't think the police have to be called on every single thing i mean sometimes you got to go with your gut and say you know this wasn't in the middle of the night i bet you if it was the middle of the night they would have handled it differently but this is you know six o'clock, six thirty in the afternoon. So they're probably, you know, it's probably the response from the homeowners are a little bit different. They're like, Hey, let's just go over there and see what's going on. Thinking that even if they are stealing stuff, we'll just, you know, be able to, you know, back up and call the police and, and maybe we'll just get a license plate or something. But this chick probably, I, I'm just guessing probably whacked out like little, little crystal meth addict or something trying to, you know, a little making a, some bad decisions and cruises his truck, tries to, you know, drive at him and then decides, you know what, I got a gun in the car. It's probably cool. Or I'll scare them or I'll shoot at them. And, uh, and immediately, you know, probably regretted yep. that, that decision. Yep. So speaking of crystal meth, uh, we got a story coming up mm-hmm. here in a bit that'll, uh, Deal with that's, that. It's called a segue. <laughs> well, that one doesn't come <laughs> quite yet, but uh, here, here's another uh, story. This one's out of uh, Chicago, uh, South Austin, which is like a, a neighborhood of Chicago, okay, on the uh, uh, south side. Tow truck, dr- tow truck driver shoots alleged attempted robber in South Austin, it says. A tow truck driver was shot and wounded a man who allegedly tried to rob him. The incident occurred Saturday afternoon in the 100 block of North Limington Avenue in Chicago's South Austin neighborhood. The driver said that four individuals attempted to rob the driver who then pulled out a gun. 
The other individual ran away. It says, this is really weird, right? Because it says four individuals attempted to rob the driver who then pulled out a gun. The other individual, I think they mean individuals, mm-hmm. ran away because then it says, the, but one person was injured by the driver. The injured man was hospitalized in good condition. The driver does have a concealed carry license. So mm-hmm. this is Chicago. I'm guessing this is maybe a rougher part of town. <laughs> I don't know. Because this is, this is broad daylight. And you have four individuals that attempt to rob a tow truck driver in broad daylight. Um, that tow truck driver did not go down easy. Uh, in fact, he turned that thing around and he became, you know, he, he, he prevailed. He took the upper hand. Um, what I took away from this, Matthew, is, I mean, it's a very short and sweet story. But two things, multiple attackers, and this was Chicago, and this man had a concealed carry license, which a couple years ago, that probably would not have been the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Um, the, the fact that he was able to defend himself, right? And, and I, you know, being a tow truck driver, especially the repo guys, I mean, I know they had the the, the whole reality show, but repo dealing with like repo uh, tow truck drivers, that's a, that's a dangerous, dangerous job. And I don't know if, you know, um, if these people, if this tow truck driver was a repo guy, if he was, you know, trying to pick up a a car and these people came, I, I don't know, but whenever you're, you're out there in these neighborhoods and stuff, especially if you're repoing cars, it's, you know, it's, you put yourself in, in some precarious situations and, and, uh, criminals know, you know, that, that you are at a disadvantage and especially when there's four, four, uh, four guys that want to rob you. And so kudos to this guy for being able to defend himself and having his firearm with him and being able to defend himself because who knows? I mean, these guys, they might not have just robbed him. They might've shot him and killed him. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's short and sweet, but it kind of touches on a lot of topics. Yep. Yep. Yeah, good things to take away from that. And uh, our, our statistics show that in a large number of these, you know, justified save events that we share on the podcast, there are multiple bad guys, right? And so it's just something to be aware of, to be mindful of. I mean, even in, this, in the first story we shared, it was a, a guy and a gal. Now, the gal was the one apparently that they had the most interaction with. Uh, but there was two two bad guys. And, uh, you know, that's just something to think about. All right. You need to be mindful. Even when you're in that moment and you see this person who's a potential threat immediately in front of you, you got to be still be, you know, trying to make an attempt to look around to see where, where their friends are at. I'll tell you, especially in burglaries, home invasions, things of this nature, a, a lot of times these guys are, they're not going alone. They're going together because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's safer together, right? Mm-hmm. They, that, you know, one of those guys might be playing lookout a little bit or just backup to an extent, right? So, um, no different than cops, you know, going into, uh, you know, Matthew, if you were, if you were called to go in and, and, and search a building or search a home, you're not going in alone. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, same I is mean, true not- of bad guys. Like they're, they're going to go in with a buddy if they can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not only tactically does it make sense, but like if you think of it on like an emotional level too, like you're more apt to do something 
if somebody else is going to do it with you, right? Like it's harder to go and break into a home buyer, get the, get the guts even to break into a home and, and, you know, by yourself. But if you have somebody else who's like, Hey, let's do this. Let's go. You do this. You watch out, you drive the car, whatever. All of a sudden some, you know, you could start, you can start kind of like getting on board with that. So it's, I don't, I don't know if that's considered the pack mentality type thing, but um, it definitely, uh, a lot of these guys travel in, in pairs. And, and, and another thing is they might not always, you know, once, once one of them, it, we might not know. So some people say, well, is this in this situation, it's only one person, right? Or in that situation, it was only one person. Well, you don't know because a lot of times, they're, they're not always converging, all converging on, on the victim at one time. So there might be people around and we might only think that there is one attacker, but they see the victim pull out a gun and fire back and they're like, oh, I'm booking it. So, you know, we only think that it was one attacker trying to maybe carjack somebody or, or do something, but we don't know that there were other, you know, two or three other guys waiting around that were going to swoop in. Um, so, yep. it, yeah. Now, how about this story? From uh, Columbus County, North Carolina, intruder shot after exchanging gunfire with homeowner, deputies say. Now, this one... um, (laughs) This is weird. Yeah, yeah, like, okay, right from the get-go. And I don't know if this is poor journalism or what this is, because we're led to believe this is an intruder. It's not quite that clear. Okay, so listen to this. Columbus County homeowner reportedly shot and injured a man attempting to enter his residence late Thursday night. Okay, so, I mean, there is that bit, attempted to enter. All right, I get that. But listen to this story. According to a spokesman with the with the sheriff's office, the homeowner told deputies that one of his neighbors tried to enter his home on Tillman Avenue, about 12 miles outside of Tabor City, around 11.20 p.m. The neighbor, identified as 28-year-old Edwin or Edward Riggins, allegedly started firing gunshots into the home. The homeowner returned fire from inside the home, eventually hitting Riggins. Riggins was taken by private vehicle to Horry County, South Carolina Hospital for treatment. This must be like on the border of South Carolina and North Carolina. When he was released from the hospital, authorities took him into custody and booked him into the J. Reuben Long Detention Center in Conway, South South Carolina, where he remains jailed as of Friday morning. No charges uh, at this time expected against uh, the, the homeowner uh, and the uh, intruder, I guess, uh, will be facing charges, but they haven't specified what those would be. No one inside the home was injured during the shooting, it says. Wow. Okay. So break this one down for us, bro. Yeah. I mean, you think that there was any like, I don't know, either drink alcohol or drug impairment involved in any of this story? I mean, I don't know. It it seems so this guy knows that it's his neighbor, right? So he calls the sheriff's office and told deputies that one of his neighbors tried to enter his home. Well, he knows who he is. So I don't know if they had a, like a long going feud or something. That's, it's kind of weird. Right. And then, um, this dude just says, you know, I'm just going to start firing randomly indiscriminately into this dude's home, my neighbor's home. That's kind of weird. Like what, what's the beef what's going on? Right. Like it, I, it was just, so it's this guy, it didn't seem like he was breaking in to try to, you know, uh, that, that it was like a party or anything and he got kicked out. Like, it seemed like he was like trying to break in cause they had a problem with his neighbor. And then this dude just starts firing into his home. He doesn't care. And then that guy's like, well, if he's going to fire me, I, I, you know, I'm going to try to stop him and start shooting back. It's, it's, it's just a weird, weird story. Cause we normally think of like an unknown intruder comes into your home and, and, you know, but this was kind of weird. Yep. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, we, we talked, I, I kind of alluded to this story, uh, gave you a little bit of a, of a tease, you know, about that grandfather that shot through the window and, and killed his uh, mm-hmm. granddaughter, unfortunately. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if this was a door or a window that, that the shots were being exchanged through, but obviously mm-hmm. the homeowner had to be shooting through something. And I imagine was able to see this man is probably the door, I guess. But, um, you know, this is where there was a clear threat and it was outside of the home. And yes, they're calling this man an intruder. Apparently, he never actually gained access to the home, so you can call him an attempted intruder or a possible, or you know, potential intruder. But he never actually became one. Uh, but he was armed and he was ready to pull the trigger. Who knows what was going on between his neighbors? Or maybe this neighbor—I don't know. Maybe this bad guy didn't think the neighbor knew who he was, or thought that there was something in there worth going after. I don't know. It's pretty, pretty crazy. But uh, I mean, I just imagine how this would play out. You know, this is your neighbor, and before you know it, he's shooting at you, and uh, you got to shoot back. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, the homeowner came out came out on top on this one. So crazy stuff there, man. Next up, CBSLocal.com out of Dallas Fort Worth says uh, homeowner shoots kills one of three armed intruders. Why don't you take the lead on this one, bro? Okay, this is an interesting one. So um, Portland police say they, they have arrested a man who allegedly broke into a woman's home and exposed himself to her while high on methamphetamines. If you don't know about methamphetamines, they're, they're, they're kind of bad. <laughs> um, Marquis Seville Harges, uh, 43 years old, followed the woman into an elevator at her northeast Portland apartment on July 31st and told her he had just shot up crystal meth court documents state the man exited the elevator on the same floor as a woman when she opened the door um he ran up and pushed her inside so that's that's a common tech tech tactic that you know uh, people that are going to assault you commonly use like they they think that like you know if you're in an apartment or a, a hotel room you know once they get you get close to your door if they can push you inside now they have control of you and they're inside so um that's always you know to be, to be aware of. Um, the woman told the police, the man wildly looked around her apartment, grabbed a pill bottle, $60 of cash and exposed himself to her. I don't know. Maybe he thought he needed a compensate her for giving him the pills and the money. I don't know. Um, according to court documents, the woman then pulled out a concealed handgun from her purse. Kudos. The gun wasn't the first thing that came to my mind. It was, how am I going to get out of here? Kim, who declined to share her last name said, I was in sheer panic. It was, I was just in panic. Uh, the man dropped the bottle, ran out of the apartment with the $60 cash, kept the cash, dropped the bottle. <laughs> uh, he saw it and ran. Speaking of, I, I assume her concealed handgun. The woman told the police that at the time of the alleged crime, a visitor she was expecting to arrive had buzzed her, uh, arrived and buzzed her intercom. Um, uh, the visitor took photos of Harges leaving the complex and shared them with local law enforcement who said they recognized him from multiple incidents. They knew who he was, probably knew where to go get him. I've had a real hard time since then struggling with, because it brings back horrible memories for me, Kim said. Unfortunately, she says it's in her first time dealing with sexual assault. There must be some place inside me that it's just not going to let that happen again, Kim said. Now she hopes everyone remembers to never let strangers inside. We need to look out for our neighbors. There's a reason we live in a building that has security, Kim said. Um, TriMet Oster spotted Hedges southeast Bo- uh, at Southeast Boulevard in Southeast Taylor Street. Uh, they arrested him. He faces sodomy, attempted sex abuse, theft, and burglary charges. Um, Bam. Well, 
Wow. I mean, this has it, this, this, I mean, it's okay. So it's not a good story as far as that it happened, but this is a good story where it depicts well, all the reasons why, um, especially, especially women, um, Mm-hmm. have should be able to carry firearms i mean it's just such a this this hits like every single checkbox doesn't yeah. it yeah there's other great things from the story and by the way i read the wrong title uh of news story so uh in case people were kind of confused because <laughs> i think i i read uh 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 homeowner shoots kills one of three armed intruders out of dallas fort worth and this is I, I I gave you the wrong title. Uh, this is court documents show woman pulls gun on, on exposer who had just shot up crystal meth. And this is in Portland, Oregon. I think you did mention Portland, but anyway, okay. So a couple of things, right? Um, number one, we need to be thinking about. Okay, I mean this this thing starts because she's in an elevator and this man follows her into the elevator. Then he follows her out of the elevator. Then she starts opening up her door and he rushes at her at that, you know, waits for the right opportunity and then rushes at her. Right. Um, yeah. So just, just let that, let that stew a little bit. Okay. As far as, you know, and this dude told her in the elevator, I just shut up on crystal meth. You know, I mean, like, uh, clearly this dude, there's a problem here and you need to be on high alert. And I'm not saying she wasn't on high alert, but I'm, I I am not sure that going to your door at that point and trying to get into your apartment. I mean, it's hard to say, cause we don't know what the layout's like. We don't know what, you know, maybe this guy was, I, I don't know. We just don't know exactly how this looked like, but maybe the better, better play is to start knocking on all of your neighbor's doors. You, you, as soon as you get out of that eleva- elevator, if you feel like there's something wrong here, you, you, you start getting somebody else's attention and mm-hmm. not trying to, you know, uh, and not being alone. Okay. I don't know. That's just something to think about. Okay. Um, all right. So that's the first thing. Second thing is she's carrying concealed in her handgun. That's probably like the only thing. Um, the only thing about this story that I, I don't like is that she's carrying in her purse. Mm-hmm. All right. Not ideal. All right, I'm. We are much more fond of carrying on person, on body carry. And I don't care who you talk to, as far as industry experts are concerned. Always, it's you're always better off to be carrying on your person. However, I am thrilled that she was carrying, and I am thrilled that she was able to defend herself in this way. All right, so it's a minor nitpicking thing. Here's the, here's the next thing I want to get at, and I'll turn it back to you. That I think is awesome. She said. The gun was not the first thing that came to my mind. I was thinking, how am I going to get out of here? Yep. That is cool because that shows you right there. Like if, if there was any reason whatsoever that a prosecutor was going to look at this woman for like doing something wrong, like like that right there alone is is pretty awesome, pretty compelling stuff as far as initially I'm just like, I just, I, I just want to get away from this guy. Like, I, you know, like I just want to get out of the situation. I want to try to avoid it. Like, that's great. Avoidance is not necessarily always required depending on the, the jurisdiction that you are in, but it's not, that doesn't just because it's not legally required doesn't mean that's a bad thing. Like avoidance is always better right. than drawing and using a gun. It's always yeah. better. 
Yeah. I mean, imagine if her statement would have been like, yeah, I told him the reason why I have that locked door is for your protection, not mine. And then I pulled out my gun and shot him. You know what I mean? It's like that. I'm not saying it changes the justification, but it definitely changes our perception of, you know, her thought process before pulling the trigger. And I liked it. The fact that like um, she articulates and maybe, you know, this is just a, 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 a product of good writing or good journalism, but she articulates very well why she was she was in fear. Like she said that he had a crazed look about him, that he looked around crazily, um, that she wasn't her first, she was in a panic. And, and the, the first response or her first thought was, how do I get away from this person? Um, yep. and I think this has something to do with the fact that she was prior, a, a victim prior yep. and something to be said. And I know you guys talked about, I think a couple episodes ago about stress inoculation, and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and, and so there is something to be said about the ability to think under stress. And she says she was in a panic and, and obviously, you know, she's under stress. If you've been exposed to that type of stress before, um, or, or, or similar stress. And, and so she's a victim in the past and she probably goes into this fight or flight mode a little bit quicker and her instincts kick in a little bit quicker. And so she starts thinking, how can I avoid this? It's not like, oh my God, what's happening, right? It's not like I froze with fear because I had no idea what was happening. It was my mind just kicked into, how am I going to get out of here? And once she probably realized, well, I can't physically leave the apartment because maybe he was blocking the door. Then what's my next option? Okay. I go to my gun and you know, you nailed it as far as like, off body carry. And I I know there's a lot of people that say like, don't ever off body carry. No, no, no. Right. And like, yeah, I agree. It's totally not preferable. There's so many better options, but this goes, this, this kind of is like in the face of those who say like, you know, I'd rather you not carry at all than carry in a purse. Right. Because that's not, that's not stupid. That's not a real good option. I've heard people say that, like, if you're going to carry in a purse, you might as well just not carry at all. And it's like, she didn't have to fire fire a shot. She got to her, her firearm. She was able to use it to defend herself without firing a shot in her own home. She made real reasonable, you know, uh, calculations in her brain. And, and other than like you pointed out, like the initial kind of situational awareness of where am I going to go? Am I going to go to my, my apartment or am I going to like try to go maybe back down, like press the down button? Maybe she just wanted to get out of the, out of the, you know, elevator with this guy maybe she could have gotten her firearm out at that point, but you know, everybody, you can, you can't second, second guess every little thing. Um, but I think she did really well. And the fact that look at what happened before she said, I wasn't going to be a victim again. Mm -hmm. Right. She said, I'm not going to let that happen again. And I guarantee you that's why she carried the firearm. And that's one of the reasons why she wasn't a victim this time, because I, I can't guarantee you, but I would be willing to bet, that if she didn't have her firearm with her, that things would have, this story would have been completely different. Yep. And, and had it not been for the firearm, that that people are terrified and think if you own a firearm, you're a bad person. And it's just not true. So yep. th- that's why I thought this this story is probably like, I don't want to say favorite because it's, you know, it's unfortunate because there's a victim involved. But this is, as far as depicting... Oh. Dude, we get for, it. This, this is a good story, you know. man. Like, there's great lessons to be learned from this story. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, on both sides, like, as far as, I mean, really, 
I think she did a lot of good things. I mean, you look back, and this would be true of anybody. You look back over a situation that you just survived, and you're probably like, well, I could have done this, or I could have done that a little mm-hmm. different or better. Yep. The overall, was was pretty solid. Here's what I wanted to point out, by the way, as far as this, this uh, refusal to be a victim, uh, this mentality, this mindset that she had, which is great. I mean, she does say that she was in a panic. Now, now being... I mean, you talked about stress inoculation, right? It, it can go a couple of ways, um, depending on your mental fortitude, depending on your psychology, depending on uh, the how you had dealt with or handled the previous situation. I mean, it could actually put you into such a panic that you can't, you know, you can't act in the way you need to act. But I think it could have helped her in this. Absolutely. I mean, she says she, says she was in a panic, but I, I'd like to think that initially she was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening to me again. And at some point it clicked in her brain and she went, wait a minute, I have a way to get out of this. Like I have a last resort. And that last resort, right. as it should be, was the gun. And that was what she needed to defend herself in this case. You know, there, there's been this whole Me Too movement that's happened in the last uh, number of months. I wanted to give a little prop, props and shout out to our, our friend uh, uh, Amy, right, with uh, Alexa Athletica, and mm-hmm. she is a host Amy on, Robbins. yeah, Amy Robbins. She's a host on the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast, which is uh, a sister podcast of ours. And uh, she has been pushing this thing recently that she calls hashtag Not Me. Right. So instead of instead of playing the victim card, me too. Hashtag me too. And I love this about Amy. This is this is kind of a big thing with her clothing line with Alexa Athletica. That hey, look, I'm designing clothing that uh, is for the active woman, a modern woman uh, that is encouraging her to carry tools of defense on her in a comfortable way, in a responsible way, uh, in a way that she is empowered to to not be a victim and. Amy's big thing is hashtag not me, not me, not today. I'm not going to be the victim. And that's what this woman did. And I, I applaud her for it. So great story. So back to the, uh, I jumped ahead on the one title here. Uh, so we're back now to Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, and the title here, homeowner shoots, kills one of three armed intruders. Uh, this happened shortly after midnight where three intruders came into a home. A homeowner said, that he was surprised when three armed men attempted to come into his home. He grabbed his own gun and fatally shot one of them. The other two fled on foot. The resident was not injured and called police. Uh, and uh, based on the interview with him and physical evidence at the scene, it corroborated his story. Uh, they are, uh, he was released. Okay. So no, no charges pending on, you know, in this, in this case. Um, so, very simple, like lack of detail story here, but I, I left it in the outline because it seems like today's theme is, with the exception of this last story that, that uh, you took the lead on, this uh, woman in Portland, there, there's a lot of multiple, multiple. Uh, attacker or multiple bad guy stories in today's podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, just be, you know, let that, let that stew, you know, stew on that for a minute. Okay. All right. Okay. So off of that theme though, and now to our final story. Uh, this one's you're gonna have to help me with this one, bud, because uh, this this is a tough story. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, according to Star Telegram, Star Telegram dot com, and uh, uh, there's a video too, and I, I I watched it, but I just I I I can't uh, I, I can't look at it again. It just it yeah. I'm sorry if I made a wuss, but uh, and, I, and normally I have a I have a thick. I have thick skin and I have a, a tough stomach for a lot of things, but uh, this just 
where I'm at in my life right now with my little ones, uh, this just breaks my heart. Good mm-hmm. Samaritan shoots a man stabbing a child to death. Police identify the child, it says here. A North Texas man, this is in Louisville, Texas, by the way, is recovering in hospital after he was shot by a Good Samaritan who claimed the man was beating and stabbing his 16-month-old child to death on Sunday afternoon. The 16-month-old child sustained multiple severe injuries and had to be rushed to a hospital at 12.41 p.m. Sunday. The child later died. That child has been identified. Um, I mean, I guess we can... Ashton Ness, okay? Um moment of silence for, for little Ashton age one, 16 months old. Um, the child's mother was at work when this incident occurred. We don't know what happened to this man to, I I assume her husband or, or partner or boyfriend, whatever father of the child. Okay. Um, officers got called to the scene of a, of a reported stabbing at Oak forest apartments. Witnesses told them that a man was beating and stabbing a child in the courtyard near an apartment building. Others told officers that shots had been fired at the same location. The responding officers found a man there who'd been shot in the leg and the little child had sustained multiple severe injuries. Video shot by a neighbor on a cell phone shows a suspect in a black t-shirt and white shorts without any shoes on, handcuffed and being dragged away from the courtyard by several officers. Look, they're they're locking me away, mom. The suspect says, says in the video, I just want to see my mom, all right? This after you just murdered your child. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, he loses his foot footing briefly, and police help him up before he begins to yell again. In the black truck, look, the suspect said in the video. As was said, the child, little Ashton, was transported to the hospital where he later died. Um, several witnesses, like I said, oh, it just repeats it kind of again. Uh, I thought there was one more detail here I was going to bring out. Um, oh, and it says here, this is the statement from the police. Um, the man, this was the... Uh, the, the the good Samaritan. He fired the shots. They said that it is apparent that his action stopped the attack on the child. So, um, yeah, like the the sad thing to this whole thing is, besides the, the fact that this man, for whatever reason, we don't even know why, he doesn't seem like he is clear of mind. That he is mentally sane. Uh, just judging by his words, fault. That's why I even bothered to share that. Just so you get a picture of the crazedness of this man. Okay. He is not in his right mind. There's no way he was. Um, doesn't mean, you know, that he shouldn't be held accountable for the, for his actions. I, I think what he did here is, I mean, just, this is, this is terrible. Obviously he murdered his own child, but, um, the good Samaritan responds, has a gun, pulls it out, shoots man. Um, the, it, it didn't save this little boy's life. And I, I, I I'm sad that 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 it didn't, but the man did. But the good good Samaritan did the right thing, um, and I applaud him for that wholeheartedly. The title of this episode, though, is CCWer misses two out of three shots while defending a child. Now, there's no indication, and I don't think it's, it is the case at all that these missed shots struck the child, mm-hmm. but the big, big, big takeaway from this story is that this man decided to act and I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he, that ultimately it resulted in this man stopping this attack. Frankly, I wish this man was dead. Um, I'll, I'll just come right out and say it. I mean, it, it, to do what he did to his child, I mean, this is inexcusable and it's horrendous. Um, but, um, 
the, the big lesson is that he fired shots at a man stabbing a child. That child, I assume, is somewhere in the line of fire to some degree, and he misses two times. And one of the and one of the other times that he actually makes contact, that he actually hits the man with a bullet, is in the leg. Mm-hmm. This is concerning to me. This is deeply, deeply concerning. And it's clear we have other people and witnesses in the area because there's plenty of witnesses that, it, that this story refers to. Plenty of people that call 911 and someone that even takes cell phone video, not of the attack, but of kind of the aftermath. Mm-hmm. This man fired. I, I'm glad he did, but he missed two out of three. And the third time, it was only in the leg. That's concerning. You, I, I don't think I need to elaborate on it anymore, but sorry, I've been hogging the mic, but... What do you think, Matthew? <clears throat> no, I, I mean, it's it's tragic. And um, it does, it, it kind of brings to light a couple of things like, all right, how difficult it is really to shoot a moving target or shoot under stress or shoot while in, in a real scenario, right? And, and so we all like say, yeah, I'll be ready, this and that. But it is very difficult. And, and I don't know the distances and I don't know exactly what, what, you know, where he took the shots from or what True. his mentality was, what his, his level of training, what type of firearm. I don't know any of those things, yep. but I will tell you that there is, uh, there is a little bit of, um, part of me that says like, it, it, just because I, I, I know what I probably would have done in a situation like this is there, there, there are times for contact shots. And if, if you, you know, we'll, we, I'm sure maybe we'll do, um, you know, a segment about it or I'll write an article or something about it. I think I did back actually back, um, uh, about contact shots and the, and, and the reason why. And explain contact shot for, in case so, it's not uh, clear to some of our listeners. Right, I, I know sorry. exactly what you mean, but yeah. So, sorry. So, so basically there's certain situations where you wouldn't want to take a shot from a distance. And if this kid is being stabbed or, or, or you know, brutalized like that, sh- shooting from a distance, three shots, maybe you get one shot on target and maybe that's a good, maybe that was actually like good because of, I'm not saying the outcome was good. I'm saying maybe for the scenario and the distance he was shooting and, and everything that was going on, maybe one out of three shots was actually marksmanship wise probably the best he could do. I don't know. Well, well to give right. him some benefit, by the way, like what if, I mean, I did think of this, um, it's still concerning, but what if the reason he missed was because from whatever angle he was at, mm-hmm. um, the one clear target was this man's leg. And so he mm-hmm. missed two out of the three times. He's trying to hit a relatively small target. And, and be, just like I said, because he was trying to avoid the hitting the child, he was intentionally shooting, you know, for whatever reason, maybe the man's leg is, is the furthest thing away from this child. Um, I'm still not sure that's the right play necessarily, but I could, I could understand that logic. I don't know that that's what happened here. Maybe it right. is, but you know, here'd be the other thing I would say is if that's the case, you need to change your angle. If that's, mm-hmm. you know, if this guy is, Chances are he's a little bit preoccupied with continuing this brutal attack, murderous attack on this child. Um, Take a second or two and step to the side where maybe it changes that angle a little bit, where maybe now you have a little bit better shot. And then to your point, Matthew, what you've been talking about is maybe you run up to that SOB and put your gun to his head and pull the trigger. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's basically what you're saying is, is there's a time for contact shots. That means, and and I don't know if contact or, or, or at least just get close enough to where, you know, like you could, 
I don't know if you want to get right up on him and he could turn right around and slash you or stab you with the knife that he's obviously using here. Um, it depends on it depends on the situation. You got to make that call. You got to be looking at the situation. If this dude was totally engrossed in what he was doing and you felt reasonably comfortable, you could come up from behind him and, and get that that point blank shot. Then that's that. You know, do it. Um, but either way, close the distance potentially to where you increase your odds. Uh, and change the angle as well, if necessary, so that you're not putting the witnesses at, at risk. You're not putting that child at, in, 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 at increased risk. Yeah. And and it's one, like you mentioned, it's one of the reasons why when people say, well, I'll just shoot him in the knee. Why didn't they just shoot him in the knee or shoot him, shoot him in the hand? Or I don't, why do we target the, you know, the center chest? Because, you know, is, aren't we just, you know, targeting that area because we want to kill him? And it's like, no, that it, when you start targeting limbs of the body. And like you said, we don't know if that's what he was doing, but possibly he was doing that because he didn't have clear shot on center chest area of the, of the, the attacker. Your, your, your ability to hit that target is, it, it, is, is so much more difficult. So yep. you have to, it, it's, it's not about like, Oh, I can shoot, I can hit him in, in the knee. That's fine. No, it's, you have to think outside the box. And if, you know, if, if contact shooting, and, and I'm not saying contact shooting as far as like you drive the gun against the person's head and like take the gun out of battery, there's, there's all kinds of technique that's involved in it. But if you've never thought about situations like that, um, this isn't the first time that this, this we've covered a story like this. Remember the, the child's uh, birthday party where the guy came into the apartment complex and they were having a birthday party and he slashed up a, a bunch of kids and killed one of them. And it was only through, there was no armed uh, response there. And they finally, they like gang tackled this guy and, and wrestled the knife away. But there were several, there were, I think a several kids died or a, yep. a child and, and, a, and an adult. Um, so yeah, this isn't like the first time where, you know, something like this happens. And so I, I it's, it's tragic all around. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I, it just, it bothers me to such an extent when you see stories like this, but we have to kind of like, after we get over that initial, like, you know, emotional response, we have to look at like, what could we do to like stop this? And maybe it wouldn't have saved the, the child's life. Maybe it would have, we don't know, but you do whatever you can. And, uh, and you know, this guy did what he could. And, and I bet you a uh, part of the, the, the thing that we have to think about is think about the guy, um, who took the shots and his, his feeling for the rest of his life that I didn't act soon enough, or I could, should I have acted sooner? Or could I have done this? Or he has to live with that, that vision of seeing this, this child being stabbed to death and, and knowing that he intervened, but it wasn't good enough. You know, right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so those are the kinds of things that we have to think of. I think also when we see any of these stories is like, it doesn't just stop at the end of the story, right? It doesn't just stop like guy arrested, homeowner goes home, okay, he's not facing charges. That's just the beginning of like everything that happens afterwards. So be, you know, morally thinking about what's going on ethically and and, and legally and all that. So you can you can make good decisions and, and tactical decisions um, come from, you know, getting yeah. some extra training. And so... Yeah, you got it. Uh, I don't mean to like beat up on on our on our people, but uh, just based on what I know as an instructor, what I've witnessed, uh, I know you're in probably the same boat, Matthew. But what I know about the average concealed carrier, and I'm not saying our listeners are average. I think they're above average. But uh, what I know is that most are not 
they're not as skilled as they need to be with that handgun. All right. It's just a fact. It's a fact of life. Um, This is true. I mean, think about this, guys. If cops who are the ones that wear guns quite literally on their belt every day of their job and they are trained if you know to they 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 obviously have to have training to use that gun and sometimes some of them do have to use that gun if if as a law enforcement instructor and i know you would agree with me matthew if cops that do this on a day-to-day basis are woefully unprepared you know as far as the, the the a large chunk of them all right do you agree a large number of cops are underprepared where it comes to using a gun in self-defense. I would say more than more than people would like to know. Like, yes, there's more than 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 should be obviously yes. more than you would think. It's a substantial percentage. Agree or disagree? Mm-hmm. Okay, he agrees. Agreed. Okay. Because, because I don't know what percentage that would be. I honestly, I mean, I would, I, it, it would not be fair for me to even try to guess. But what I can tell you is that a substantial number of police officers are not as prepared as they could or should be to use a gun. All right, that's the sad reality. All right, it shouldn't be that way. And unfortunately, due to limitations on budget or time or resources or whatever it is, I mean, departments don't offer the training that they ought to be offering in a lot of cases. And so large by large, uh, uh, officers have to take that responsibility upon themselves. And most of them, many of them do not. Okay. If that's true about police officers, then think about how most average Americans that just happen to own or carry a gun are. I'm sorry to say that a large percentage, you are not prepared in the way that you ought to be. Guess what? I feel that way about myself. I I know you agree, Matthew. Like no, I was just going to say this. I, I am not done, I, and I don't think I ever will be because that would be. I mean, that's kind of the point here. Um, but I think there is also kind of a minimum standard, uh, and a lot of people probably fall under what you know. We and we could. We're not here to debate what that standard is, but my point is that I don't know if that explains why this guy missed two out of three times. We don't know the whole story here. My point is though that I hope every one of you within listening uh, ear of my voice to this episode this day is encouraged to do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary to take that next step, to do that next thing, to do that next dry fire practice session, whatever it is, take that next class, do whatever it takes to make sure you are prepared at least to a, a pretty decent Maybe we should do an episode sometime and talk about what that minimum standard would be, Matthew. I don't know. That'd be an interesting. I don't know how. I've never actually thought about trying to quantify or or qual or qualify. What's the word? Qualify that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be an interesting thing. What I do know is that a lot of folks are not where they ought to be, mm-hmm. cop or civilian. And, right. and, I'm not, and not just technically, not just with like sight alignment, sight picture, trigger switch. Right. I'm talking about mindset. Like for me. You have to be prepared mindset wise because that can make up sometimes for poor technique in, you know, as far as squeezing the trigger and things like that. Um, So, I mean, I'm not downplaying technique at all because it's super critical, but you can't overlook mindset for strictly magazine speed, 
or magazine chain speed, trigger, you know, trigger finger, or you, you can't replace the mind because that is your ultimate like a decision maker. Cause think back to that woman, like the gun wasn't her first thought. And sometimes the gun isn't going to be your first thought, or maybe the gun shouldn't be your first thought actually in all situations. Right. So you can't always go to the gun. Sometimes you got to go to your mind. You should be going to your mind and you should set yourself up if you can avoid before the situation even happens with situational awareness. So that's why your mind needs to be developed too. So I think, you know, think about, that's why I love doing these episodes with you, Riley, honestly, um, the justified portions, because we get to talk about the mindset. We get to talk about like, not second guessing, but what should be going through your mind to avoid these things or, or produce a, a better um, response. And I think that that's just is helpful, if not more than if we sit here and talk about like, you know, how can you get a better trigger squeeze? Like, yeah, that's awesome. And we should definitely talk about that kind of stuff, but we can't forego one for the other. Yep. Agreed, man. Well, it's been another, uh, I, I think a great episode and a, a long episode. We've talked, we covered a lot of different things here, but, uh, I just think there's been so many little nuggets of, lessons, little, little lessons throughout this episode today of what not to do, of what to do, of how to do, how not to do. Um, and by the way, go home tonight, or if you already are at home, either way, go and hug and kiss your kiddos, Mm -hmm. grown or otherwise. All right. Um, you know, because, uh, yeah, I don't know this story. It just really got to me. I know when we're done here, I'm going to, I'm going to run upstairs and I'm going to find that little four and a half month old of mine and I'm going to pick him up and I'm going to hug him and let him know I love him, you know, that uh, I would never do to him what this uh, father did to, to his little boy. All righty. It's time to wrap it up. Thanks everyone for joining us on Facebook Live uh, for uh, being a part of this episode, for listening to our episode, for listening to our antics. I got one little announcement uh, tomorrow at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. I meant to actually announce this earlier, but I forgot. Tomorrow at 11 a.m. Mountain we will go live at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, and we with with tomorrow. Tomorrow it's being Thursday, so it'll be our normal weekly uh, or twice. It'll be our normal second half of the week episode. Uh, we will have a little bit of a give- giveaway. Uh, it's our 250th episode. I have just a little something here that I will send your way. Okay, I'm not telling what it is at this time because I'll be honest, I haven't quite figured out what that what it'll be. <laughs> but it'll be a nice little gift um, for one lucky participant. You need to be present in the Facebook live broadcast of the podcast. And if you're here tomorrow on Facebook at 11 a.m. or we're not going to do it right at 11. That's not when the giveaway will be. It'll be at some point during the episode. So I'm sorry. You'll have to kind of stick around or at least try to make some effort to stick around. And we will pick randomly. We'll ask you to do something for those of you that are on Facebook and we'll pick somebody and you will, we'll send you a special little gift as a little giveaway. All right. So uh, today's episode is once again brought to you by our Vehicle Firearms Tactics course. Available now. Go to, well, it's been available for a while, but we have a little, we, we, we are again offering the DVD copy along with the online version. Uh, that's not always available um, uh, together like that. So go to concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT special to take advantage of that offer. And also Andrew Brinka's uh, Law of Self-Defense Level 1 online course special offer there. I uh, highly recommend that you do this. Uh, it would 
prevent many of these what not to do type scenarios that we sometimes talk about on the podcast if you would just educate yourself. And uh, Andrew, I think, is one of the best at doing that. So uh, you can uh, take advantage of that special offer by going to concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D level one. So there you have it. Matthew, thanks again for doing this with, with me, buddy. Thank you, sir. So a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.